Well, would you care to show those eyeglasses to the jury, please? Thank you. Thank you. Now, Mr. Tipton, were you wearing them that day? No. Well, as you see, <laughs> you were 50 feet away. You made a positive eyewitness identification. And, 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 and yet, you were not wearing your necessary prescription eyeglasses. They're reading glasses. Uh, well, uh, uh, Mr., uh, 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 could you tell the court what color eyes the, the, the defendants have? Brown, hazel green. No more questions. Mr. Gambini, your witness. <sighs> He's a tough one. Yes. <clears throat> Mr. Tipton, when you viewed the defendants walking from their car into the sack of suds, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking toward me when they entered the store. And when they left, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking away from me. So would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible to two youths... Uh, uh, to what? Uh -oh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a youth? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. That movie is from uh, My Cousin Vinny. There are a number of court scenes in that movie. That was the only one I could find without profanities all over it. So, um, so uh, it, it does, but it, it is a funny movie. I do, I do like that movie quite a bit. Um, would, let me ask you a question. Uh, just based on that scene, would you want either of those two gentlemen to be your lawyer? Absolutely not. But here's my other question. Would you like, if you were suing somebody, would you like it to be their lawyer? Yeah. Well, yes, of course you would, right? If you're, if you're the prosecutor in a case and you realize that first guy who could barely get a word in edgewise and, and without stuttering or stumbling and, and clearly had no idea what he was talking about, if you're a prosecutor and you find out that's the defense attorney, I don't know about you, but I'm doing a little dance, right? Going, yes, that guy. Lawyers are, you know, they get a bad rap sometimes. There are some wonderful people in the world that uh, protect our rights, that do their best to, to defend people and, and to see good and wonderful outcomes, but we sometimes um, vilify them as, as something less than that. And, and like all human beings and like every profession, there are wonderful people and there are not so wonderful people. That's just a reality of life. And the reality is, though, when you're in trouble, 
Um, a good lawyer is a wonderful thing. You want a good lawyer when somebody is prosecuting you. You want a good lawyer when somebody is suing you. You want a good lawyer. There are times in life where you need people who are honest, hardworking, well-trained, and committed to defending you when things are against you. As we're reading the book of Hosea, we're in the second week of our series called It's Complicated. It's about this complicated relationship between God and His people. Last week, we looked at this uh, from Hosea's perspective. He has been called, he was called last week to marry a promiscuous woman that he knew would be promiscuous from the get-go and would never stop being promiscuous. He was called to raise a family of people that some of the children were his and some of those people were not his. He was called to love them. He was called to, to chase after his promiscuous wife and ask her to return. He was called to show her love even though she didn't deserve it. And all that because that is the way God feels about his people at the time. That they are constantly turning towards other options and only turning back to him when they're in trouble. And they need him. And that is not the relationship he desired for them or that he desires for us. He desires for us to cultivate a deep, abiding, then that means ongoing, permanent relationship with him, not one that's only there when we're really in trouble or only there until something better comes along. This week, God continues his discussion through, the, through Hosea. And the, the title of this sermon is The Lawsuit. Because that's exactly what's going on here. God is listing his, his concerns, his difficulties with the people of Israel. He is reading a list of charges. In fact, the first verse says that. You want to go to that for me? Awesome. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4 this week. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, the people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of a land. Sounds awful lot like a legal court case, right? There is no truth no faithful love, no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. How about that for an opening argument? <laughs> if, you're, if you're a member of, of, of the people of Israel at this time and either of the two countries that make up Israel or the, the Israelite people. They're divided into two nations, two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. So let's keep going. For this reason, the land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the wild animals and the birds of the sky and even the fish of the sea disappear. So he's saying, you're in this horrible place, this horrible, you're acting totally unlike me and it's affecting far more than just you individually. It's affecting everything you touch. Everything you touch is affected by this. Uh, that's what I want to hear when I get up in the morning. That's what I want to hear when, when, I, when I face God or when God's prophet comes to me. I certainly want to hear, hey, by the way, this place where you live, which, by the way, you're, in, you're part of that nation. I'm talking to you too. Um, lying, cheating, stealing, murder, you're destroying everything you touch. What's wrong with you? Yikes. That should get you going in the morning. Doesn't that get you excited? It's almost like a cup of coffee. Not even close. 
It's the kind of thing that would make you stay in bed. Who are the defendants here in this? Well, there are two kingdoms. There's Judah and Israel. They are two kingdoms that, that, ha- that Hosea um, prophesies about or works with the two divided nations. There's two kings. Judah is, is Hezekiah is the king of Judah. Um, in 2 Kings 18, we see uh, Sennacherib of the Assyrian army, the, king, the Assyrian king, um, sieging Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, by the grace of God, is able to hold them back and hold them off. It's a wonderful story. Um, so they've experienced, Israel or Judah is experiencing this time where clearly they are militarily able to defend themselves, right? So they feel strong. They feel good about who they are. This is the nation he's talking to, the people, the defendants in the case. They feel good about themselves. They feel safe and secure and strong. Israel, in the time of Jeroboam, the king, is actually expanded because though the Assyrian Empire is around, they are not really pushing very hard. They're kind of the enemy you know is an enemy, but is really not really pushing against your borders or causing you trouble. It's kind of like in the 80s, we had an arms race with the Soviets, right? And so we know they're the enemy. We know them as our, of our nation. We know they're a threat, and we make decisions around that. But at the same time, the economy is flourishing. The nation is growing. So there's this tension there, but it's not a direct, immediate threat. It will be before this is all said and done. The prophet Jeremiah will prophesy that that the people of Israel will be overtaken and they will be cast out of their land. And guess what happens? They're overtaken and they're cast out of their land. (laughs) It happens. But right now, in this time, in this place, they are, they are in a very good place, relatively speaking, a relatively stable time, a time of peace, a time of prosperity, but they are also in a time where worshiping gods other than the Lord, as we talked about last week, is running rampant and growing quickly, in particular, worship of the god Baal. Now, Baal actually asked for human sacrifice as part of his worship ritual. He asked for some uh, rather horrible sexual activity as part of his ritual, as part of showing devotion to Baal, to be part of his faith or his religion or to worship that God. And so when we read about this first part where he says there's all these things going on, this no truth, no faithful love, no knowledge of God, this cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery, that is the culture that is beginning to become pervasive in the land of Israel because they've all taken their eye off what it means to worship the Lord and they're worshiping all these other things and all these other gods. They're happy with the wealth that they have. They're happy with the security that they have. And, and I don't know about you, but if, I've got, if I'm in a secure situation, security can very quickly become an idol for me because if I'm secure, I want to stay secure, right? If I'm wealthy... I want to stay wealthy. If my life is good, I want to keep it good, right? And the problem with that is when when those things become Israel's priority and our priority, they become the gods of our life. When we're focused on preserving and maintaining those things, we are choosing, as we talked about last week, a promiscuous faith. 
The truth is, his description here, this, this fitting description of, of what Israel is like at this time sounds an awful lot like our country, does it not? If you read through it, we're relatively safe, we're relatively peaceful, we've got a lot of wonderful things going, and yet all around us we see this lack of truth, faithful love, decreasing knowledge of God, cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery, one act of bloodshed follows another. We have a, um, the, many of you are connected to the town of DeGraff right now. DeGraff's gone through a lot of things lately with homes burning and people losing their lives and, and people being stabbed. And then there was an accident at, at the parade, right? Um, which, by the way, my understanding is everybody's okay, but still a horrifying occurrence. That's a lot of things for a tiny little town to take on. That is a lot. I would encourage you to pray for them because what I don't want to have happen is for DeGraff to get used to it because coming from a big city, you're used to it. Honestly, murders barely make the news in a large city. If they do, it's anecdotal. It's 30 seconds, oh, somebody else got killed today, have a nice day. I don't want that to become our normal. It frightens me that that could. So I would ask for the to take some time over the course of this week to pray for the people of DeGraff, the kids of DeGraff who have seen all these things and experienced all these things. Please, they need all the help we can give them, all the prayer we can give them, and all the love the Lord can give them. That was a side note, but please do that, okay? So we, this, this description of this nation sounds very much like ours in so many ways. Let's keep going. Let's look at Hosea 4, 4 through 6. It says, but let no one dispute. Let no one argue for my cases against you, priests. Oh, now he's getting specific. He says, you will stumble by day, and the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. That would be your country. This thing that you hold secure, that you, you, you see as the source of your strength and value, your mother country, your nation, I will destroy it. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and that is hugely key. Keep that in mind. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons." So he's not only read a case against them, now he's mad. And he's telling them, this is what it's going to turn out to be. This is the outcome. The fact that, that this is what's going on. You have forgotten God. Why would it be critical? That, why would he go after the priests first, do you think? They are. The priests are, at this time, before the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, priests were the people's connection to God. They were the representation of God on earth. They spoke for him, right? They taught for him. They were the representation of God on earth. And yet he says he has one big problem with them. What? They weren't doing their job, right? And what's their job? And in this case, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, they're not teaching. The priests are not teaching of the things of God. 
Now, we could guess as to why. He says partially why. They have rejected God. They're probably teaching God and. God and Baal. God and this. God and that. They've forgotten. Remember, they're promiscuous in their faith. They've got lots of different ideas, and they're trying to fit them all together. And God is saying very clearly, no, there's only one relationship we need to be cultivating here, and that's the one with me. And that's the knowledge of me. And that's what I'm teaching you. That's, that that is, is the problem here. So we, we know that. We know that they, they're not teaching the same things or the things that they should be. The truth is they're probably not teaching at all. Remember, this, this land is beginning to be taken over by ball worshipers, right? And, and just like everybody else in Israel, they are people who love their security and love their strength and love, love to maintain the lifestyle they have. Well, when you feel like the lifestyle or the life or the security you have is under threat, what do you do? What do you do? Good job, Gregory. You build a wall around it, right? You protect it. We do that, right? If you feel like your family is under threat, what are you going to do? You're going to protect them, right? Should you? Yes. Protect your family, please, right? If you feel like your security is under threat, you're going to, you're going to protect it. If you feel like your church is under threat, what are you going to do? You're going to protect it. You should protect it. Now, the question is this. How do you protect it? Do you best protect it by building a wall in it, around it, and saying, everybody who comes inside, we will keep you safe. Don't worry about this nasty world outside here. Can I just tell you that won't work? That'll work for a season. And there are so many churches that I see that are so consumed with protecting what they have that they lose sight of the mission they've been given. And the security becomes their idol. The consistency and the safety of what they know becomes their idol. Telling people of God does not become their priority anymore. I, I personally believe that's exactly what's happened here. They felt like they're under threat with all these different forces against them and what they've decided to do is wall it off and say, no, we're going to protect what we have. We're not going to tell people about the Lord because that's the end result. If you're too walled off, then how can you be open to those who need God, right? It's that simple. Jesus encountered this too with the Pharisees. If we go to uh, Matthew chapter 23, he has this list of seven woes, okay? He calls them hypocrites, blind guides. He calls them lawless. But, but here he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in those days, our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, yeah. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency sometimes to read the Bible and I go, I would not have acted that way. I would not have done that. 
But Jesus' challenge here is to say, well, you may not think you've done that, but you are the sons of those who came from that. You are cut from the same cloth, and you are doing the same things, just in a different place in your context. Instead of building a physical wall around the body of Christ, it feels like building a spiritual or an emotional wall around the body of Christ. And again, that is in many ways a natural reaction. I'm not saying you shouldn't build some walls. The prophet Nehemiah, when he was rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, made it a point to rebuild the walls. In fact, he prayed and rebuilt the walls in, in 52 days all the way around the city. So is there wisdom in building walls sometimes? Yes. But if the wall becomes your own tomb, if it becomes what you're trapped inside, rather than just a way of protecting yourself so that you can be the people God has called you to be, you're in trouble. We don't build a wall so we never have to venture outside the city. And so often, that's what happens. We make it self-contained. So what, is, what does that have to do with us? Well, remember, originally, he was, the, God was speaking directly to the priests. And then Jesus here is speaking to the priests. This is before his death. Can I just tell you the definition of priest changes upon Jesus' death? Let's, let's read in 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. It says, you yourselves... As living stones, a spiritual house. Who's the spiritual house? That would be the church, okay? Are being built to be a holy priesthood. Are we building a priest or a priesthood? Okay. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scriptures... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And the stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this, but you... The people of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, on one hand, I want to say amen, praise God, that he gives us an opportunity to be that, to be a part of that, because that is an honor. That is an honor and a blessing and a half. But... The part I think we leave out sometimes is that it also comes with a responsibility. The glory of not dealing with, with priesthood as, as it used to be seen, as if I want to connect with God or, or come to know God or tell others of God, is I have to go through the priest, who, by the way, only got to talk to God once a year, once a year Right? I have to go to the priest to do this. The glory of Christ allows us to have that connection to God. Each and every one of us who has chosen to take on that connection has that connection to him. And that is a glorious and wonderful, wonderful thing. But just like the priests of old, 
He expects us as the priests of now to do something with it. And he says very clearly two things that he wants us to do with it in this text. The first is this, is to offer spiritual sacrifices. Edmund Burke in 1770 said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Nothing. As we watch this evil around us, and it is, there is plenty of evil in our nation. Remember, we have a lot in connection with this time of Hosea, okay? That could have been a descriptor for us too. The priests of God at that time made a choice. They made a choice not to impart the knowledge of the Lord to others. They made a choice to, I would guess, soften the message of God and mix it with things of Baal and everything else. They made a choice to not do the right thing. They made the choice that would protect their safety. They made the choice that would protect their security. We have a responsibility not to make that same choice. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You think you're separated from them. You think that you wouldn't do that, but really, you're doing the same thing just differently in your context because you're cut from the same cloth. You're from the same lineage. You're doing the same thing. Our challenge is to not do the same thing. It's about giving of ourselves for the sake of those who are lost, interceding on behalf of our community, our state, and our nation, and standing up for what is right and true, even if it's unpopular. And that is especially, in this case, the knowledge of who our God is. We have tons of opportunities to tell people who God is, to proclaim His praises, which is the other thing we're supposed to be doing, which we'll get to in a second, to tell people who our Savior is, to tell your story, to remind them where truth and goodness and faithful love, abiding love lies, where the opposite of what they're experiencing now is what God is calling them to and what our God represents, who He is. And yet sometimes we choose not to make the sacrifices necessary to do that. What kind of sacrifices do you have to make to be willing to tell people of God? Huh? Your comfort level. Oh, that is A1, number one, the biggest thing, your comfort level. Because is talking, telling others about God uncomfortable? Yes. Totally. Why is it, un I'm much more comfortable telling everybody in here, most of us are followers of Christ, yes? If you're a follower of Christ, I'm much more content telling you about God because you already know God. You already love God. You already accept God. You're not going to look at me sideways and go, what's wrong with you, right? But if I walk out of this church building and I go tell people about God, they might look at me sideways. In fact, they do, often. Fun fact, I've told this many times, you know, I don't tell anybody I'm a pastor when I meet them. Why? they will treat me completely differently. They will do one of two things. They'll either begin to tell me everything that's on their mind, which is fine, happy with that, or they will look for an exit strategy, a quick exit strategy. But the thing is, we, we, we're not called to hide who our God is. And honestly, our discomfort with it is not enough of a reason to hide. 
truth is we're making our comfort, our, discom- our lack of discomfort, avoiding that discomfort, our idol. We're making it our God. And we are saying that in this moment, in this time, I'm going to be faithful to my own comfort instead of being faithful to God. It's a choice. We are called, as the Scripture says, to sing of His praises. You want to go to the next slide? It says, remember, this is what this said. This, this piece out of Peter said, we are called to proclaim his praises. It says you are a royal priesthood, and it goes through, you are a royal priesthood to do these two things, offer spiritual sacrifices and proclaim his praises. Tell others of who he is. That is why I have made you my priests. That's why I have formed the church, is to do those things. It's the basic mission of who we are. Contrast it with that piece out of Hosea 4.6. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They were destroyed because the people of God, the priests of God, those who had been called to be his voice were not being his voice. They were not being his voice. And the results were catastrophic. The results were catastrophic for not just for them spiritually, but for the entire nation that they held dear. Because remember, he said that we will, I will destroy your mother, I will destroy this nation, this place you call home. He said, I will forget your sons. That's all those things that you dream for and hope for. I will forget them. I wasn't going to read this part, but let, let me, and it's, I don't have a slide for it, but let me read this. I feel like I need to. We're going to pick up in verse... 7 of Hosea. It says this. It says, the more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. The bigger they got, the more they sinned. I will change their honor into disgrace. They feed on the sin of my people. They have an appetite for our iniquity. And here is the part I need to read. The same judgment will happen to both people and priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not be satisfied. They will be promiscuous but not multiply, for they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. Promiscuity, wine, and new wine take away one's understanding. And the list goes on. And the list goes on. If you looked at your Connect card, there was a verse I wanted you to memorize this week. It's verse 14, and it's really the last part. People without discernment are doomed. Now, I think a couple of things about this. I think number one, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your eternity is secured. I don't want anything you're going to hear from me to say that your security is not, that you are not going to make it to heaven. (laughs) That is not what I'm telling you. What I am telling you very clearly is that we should not be surprised that the world around us is dysfunctional because it's fallen. But we should also understand that if we want the world to be less dysfunctional, we have to do our part. We are called to do our part. Our part is to make a difference in the world in the name of the Lord, and our part is to teach others of God every chance we get. That's our part. 
And the reality is that our physical lives are tied to those around us. If somebody is running around shooting people, you could get shot. Right? True or false? Okay. If somebody's running around robbing people, you could get robbed. Right? It could totally happen. If somebody launches a nuclear missile at Wright Pat, because that's a target, right? We're in Bell Fountain. We're not that far away. It will get us too, right? That's the reality of it. Our physical lives are tied together. It is not okay for us to stand back and go, man, this world stinks. It's okay for us to say this world stinks. What can we do to help? Because we either believe that knowledge of the Lord is the solution or we don't. We either believe that he has called us to be a royal priesthood, to be his people proclaiming his praises, or we don't. We believe that he has done something miraculous that the whole world should share in, or we don't. It is the reason he made us a church. It is the reason he empowers us. It is the reason he strengthens us. But I, I want to leave you with one more scripture because this, this whole thing can make you feel like, oh my goodness, I'm in a whole world of trouble with God. But I want, I want you to leave, leave you with this. We have the best lawyer defending us that you could ever possibly imagine. Okay? His righteousness covers us. It's the reason I can say your eternity is a good, is a good thing. Because his righteousness will cover your mistakes. His righteousness will cover your failings. Because guess what? You're going to fail. I fail daily. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to drop the ball. You're not going to tell somebody when you should. That doesn't mean you just blow it off and go, eh, whatever. But let's read about our lawyer. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. There's that, hey, if you're committed to me as I am committed to you, then you will do what I'm asking you to do, Right? If you're, if I'm faithful to you, are you abiding in me? It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. There it is, our counselor, our advocate, that person to guide us, to walk with us, and yes, to sit at the right hand of God and testify to our righteousness before him. He's defending us with all that he is. I will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. There's that knowledge again. It can't see God if it doesn't know God. And if we, they don't know God unless we tell them about God. It's not going to happen with osmosis. We have been chosen to be that. We're not plan B. You get that, right? The church is not plan B. The church is plan A. It is his choice to do it this way. And there's a reason but you who do know him because he remains in you and will with you and will be in you this advocate is not just defending you before god this advocate has agreed to walk with you and in you as you do what he is calling you to do that's a great lawyer <laughs> it's not somebody who just defends you that's somebody who walks with you right? Who tells you what to do, when, how, and why? 
who will coach you and counsel you and, yes, push you because he loves you and because he wants the world to know that love too. But we got to do our part. Okay? Okay. So as we close our service today, um, we, we close in the same way every time. We always pray for one another, right? We offer prayers of thanksgiving to one another, to the Lord. We ask for prayers for those who are challenged or difficult or in difficulty within our body and for the communities around us. And, and so what I'm going to have you do is, is stand up because it's less awkward if somebody wants to get out and walk to the front to be prayed for or to ask for something. It's less awkward if they have to push by five people and they're the only person standing, right? So we want, we want to make that as easy as we can. But we're going to stand. We're going to take some time. I'm going to read through some public prayers that we were given this morning. And then you can find those on the app later today. Uh, but then I will also walk through and we'll see what else, we, what else God has laid on your heart in this time today. First, we have uh, Barb has asked for prayers for Jerry Culp. He's uh, having some heart issues. A couple aneurysms. That's not one, that's two. Um, and he's got some testing to do this week, some catheterizations to do this week, and then we'll know more, right, about where we're headed. Um, please pray for him. Pray, pray for his peace. Pray for his worries to be pulled away. And yes, pray for our great Lord to heal him because he can. Yes, he can do that. We would ask that you pray for them this week. We'd also ask you to pray for Bernice. She's not on the list, but she, we know. We love her very much. Continue to pray for her. And pray for Barb because her mom is sick and her husband's sick. That's a lot. Pray for peace for her too. Uh, we'd like to ask you to pray for Lester and Thelma Miller. Um, if you've had opportunity to visit them, um, awesome. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that very soon. Like this week. Um, Lester's health is declining rapidly. Um, and if you've ever met them, if you know them, they're an amazing couple. Just the love they have for one another blows my mind every time I walk in. You can feel it in the room. Um, so many ways they show us what marriage should be, what a faithful relationship should look like. Um, if you have opportunity to go be a blessing to her, please do that to Thelma and to, to hold hands with Lester. And Paul Beardoff went by the other day and sang with him, sang hymns with him. He, it brings a smile to his face. Uh, please do that if you have a chance. Keith Reefstall has asked for prayers for his sister Paula. Uh, she has cancer in her lymph nodes. She's going to the doctor on Tuesday for treatment. Uh, Debbie asked us to pray about the ongoing difficulties in DeGraff with the, the parade and the home burning and the, and the teenager who made some choices that he should not have. But there's a lot of people hurting in DeGraff. I've asked you to pray for them. Please do. Don't forget that. Vianne has asked for prayers for her Uncle Chuck. Uh, they're transferring him to Campbell House this week. Um, he's likely reach, reaching some end stages and his family needs peace in this time. He needs peace in this time. 
Phyllis offers a praise. She offers a praise that uh, her brother Herb is okay after a car accident this week. He had a little fender bender. Uh, he seems to be okay. And we're praying that the person, others, the others involved in the accident are also okay. Are there any other prayers or praises? I've got one we're going to end with, but that's okay. So you don't have to be the last one. Yes. Okay. So we're trying to, we're asked for prayers that hospice would provide a different kind of chair for Mark's mom, Mary, so that she can continue to come to church as she continues to decline in health. She's been unable to do that. I pray for peace for you too in this time. Yeah? Okay. Anybody else? Miss Barb. This is a prayer request, but please remember to help with our daily bread tomorrow. Okay. That's fine. Please, please remember to make a difference in our communities tomorrow. Praise God through your actions with daily bread. Yes. Okay, weekday religious education classes start this week. This is, if you don't know what this ministry is, it's amazing. It's an opportunity for small children who have no connection to God, most of them outside of, outside of this, to connect with Him to come to know him just a little bit. And we have some amazing teachers. Raise your hand if you're a teacher or involved with weekday religious education. There's a ton of people that teach, haul trailers, run the administration, do whatever they need to do to make this ministry work. Can I just tell you, somebody who's come from a larger city, in a larger city, this would never happen. We should praise God that it's happening here. Okay? Absolutely should. All right. Anybody else? Yes. The troops, always. Is his name Bill or Lee? Bill. Bill. Okay. Colin's grandfather, Bill. The friends of Leroy Brown. I don't even know what that is. Okay. Oh, you're going back to work. And we're praying you because you're going back to work. Okay. Anything else? Rita. Continue to pray for Rita Hellman-Dollar. She was in the hospital last week. She had a knee replacement and had some, I'll get there. She had some real complications with her surgery. She is now living with her daughter for the next couple of weeks doing rehab in Columbus. So pray for her. Anybody else? Yes, Gregory. Satan will fight you. If you make Satan mad, it feels like both a blessing and a curse, does it not? Yes, it does. Continue to preach the gospel to people who are willing to listen, and even if they're not willing to listen. Okay, anything else? All right, I have one praise. I told him I was going to do this, so we're going to embarrass him. Um, Kevin Easton who's sitting right behind Sam, uh, made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ yesterday. Uh, and and, and I was, I, I'm humbled to be a part of that and, that and that he's asked us to be a part of that journey with him. So I would encourage you today to let him know 
you're happy to have him as a brother in Christ and that you're excited to see him grow and see where the Lord takes him and to be a part of that journey. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. All right. So let us, let us close in prayer. Father God, we are so blessed to have one another. We are so blessed that you have made us a family together. We are so blessed that you allow us to be the proclaimers of your glory in this world, to sing of your praises and to be your royal priesthood. We are cognizant of sometimes the difficulties of that. It is, it can be challenging, but we know we have the great counselor in you. The one who is willing to be with us and in us and walk us through, if only we're willing to allow him to do that. I pray that as we go through this week, that you will open our eyes to opportunities to praise your name to others. To let lack of knowledge not be the challenge because we are doing as the church, both here at Gretna and beyond, everything we need to do to tell the world of you. Open up those opportunities, open up our hearts and our minds, allow us to be your conduits so that we can tell the world of this glorious, glorious Savior. We pray for all those in this church who are hurting in the communities and those they touch that are hurting. We pray that your peace will be with them, that you will help them see the light. We are praising God, thankful, so thankful to have a new brother in Christ this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Lord, we love you. We are honored to be your people. And we pray that you will keep us safe until we are able to meet again. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.